Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. Russia's interference in the 2016 election is now undisputed. What's less clear is the role of the Russian media. A Times reporter travels to Moscow to tell the story of the information war that Russia is waging against the West. It's Wednesday, September 13th. So thank you all for uh, being here with us to witness and to celebrate this wonderful event. Jim Rutenberg, tell me about this party you were at at the United Nations back in January. So it was middle of January and RT, the Russian television network, has been welcomed into the United Nations. We are incredibly proud to be present here for this wonderful occasion of RT becoming an official member broadcaster of the UN in-house TV network. There are drinks flowing, there are canapes, little shrimp skewers, and they have people in from Russia, they have the ambassador there. You know, I think uh, UN and RT are two most famous and most recognizable acronyms in the world. Just a great big party to say we've made it. So what does that represent for Russia today, getting on this UN television dial? This is putting them on a sort of footing with BBC, CNN, you know, the big, credible networks of global media. So this is something of a coup. They are brash, they are aggressive, they are talented, they are in your face. And, uh, you know, let's face it, uh, uh, everybody watches them. Help me understand why this is such a big deal to Russia. So take me back to where all of this started. Well, in my view, this is sort of like a rematch. It starts in the 1940s, the late 1940s, after the war. When the U.S. government's trying to fight back against Soviet propaganda. This is the Kremlin. Citadel of Russian communism. And that begins really the first great media arms race uh, between the United States and Russia. Russia today is regarded as a grave threat to our nation, to our freedom, to the peace of the world. And during this radio war, you have a kind of mismatch because the United States has invented the idea of entertaining radio. So it just has these production chops that make people want to listen. Much later, we'll move on to television. And it's, a, it's not even a fair fight. Today, I dedicate the news channel for America, the cable news network. CNN, 
is there for Tiananmen Square. Hundreds of thousands of people here in Tiananmen Square. It's there for the fall of the Berlin Wall. The Iron Curtain between East Germany and West Berlin has come tumbling down. East Germany and, you know, Russia, they, they're very upset about the way they're being portrayed in the global media. They feel like they can't get a break. It's all dominated by a Western narrative. And they want their own CNN. So they finally, in 2005, start Russia Today. And the idea is to promote a sort of Russian view of the world, Russia's story of itself. It sounds like what you're saying is that by design, RT is a tool designed to serve Russian interests abroad, not really almost at all to be consumed by Russian citizens. Yeah, that's stated. There, That's the open part of the plan. That's their stated mission. So with their plan in place, they're going to start this TV network. <laughs> Russia has never done anything like this. They turn to uh, literally a 25-year-old star of Russian media, Margarita Simonyan, who ha- is just ripping it up in the state media scene, delighting the Kremlin with sort of American-style personal touch stories. And Margarita's actually learned some of this during her year as an exchange student in the United States, she was very into American television news. Hmm. She would watch it with the, the exchange family father on the couch every night. The other kids weren't interested. Margarita was fascinated. What, what kind of shows? Local news, 60 Minutes, CBS News with Dan Rather. I think it's significant because she is the first person tasked then at a very young age to create a Western-looking answer to American-style news. That's my first time to Moscow. It's been really awesome. Really? It's been great. So I met her. I visited her at RT. I visited her at her offices at state-run version of BuzzFeed called Sputnik that she helped start. And over a long meal. Is this your regular restaurant? Yeah, because it's the only place where you can smoke. At a very hip restaurant. You got picked to run RT, right? I got picked to create RT. RT so, exists. So that's huge. So how does that... Yeah. Like, I almost paid She explained to me sort of how this kind of gets foisted on her <laughs> and how shocked she is. My first idea was not to miss the deadline. And how under the gun she is to make something work because there is nobody in Russia who has done anything like it. And its mission is to tell the truth about Russia to the world. So how does she describe Russia today when it was founded? She was happy that it got on the air. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Russia Today. I'm Sean Berry. She's happy that it's got something resembling some real production values. They hire some consultants from Britain to help them. Her correspondents study like CNBC, BBC, I assume CNN. And as we are insiders, we'll show you Russia like you've never seen before. But it's not really catching. And in her view, that's because it's overly focused on... Russia. The peoples of Russia, the land of Russia, the nature of Russia, the traditions of Russia, the today of Russia. International audiences cannot possibly be that interested in just Russia. It's Tuesday, November 17th. I'm Ashley Banks in Washington, D.C., and you're watching RT America. So how is it that we get to a point where I, as an American, am seeing Russia Today videos on YouTube and seeing it in certain parts of the United States. Could you walk us through that evolution? Yeah, so basically it starts bringing on 
guests with not just alternative views, but conspiratorial views. There's a growing number of Americans who believe 9-11 may have been an inside job. 9-11 truthers, as they're known, attended a two-day conference. It wasn't unusual to see Alex Jones pop up. Because the CIA basically is a private uh, mercenary spy grid. And, and it grid. gets its first big hit, or one of its first big hits, in the Occupy Wall Street movement. We're going to shut down Wall Street! America's attempt to follow the example of the Arab Spring. Which is like exactly what it's looking for. The collective voices of American dissent has manifested into a movement impossible to ignore. Really? What do you mean? This is about America? So it's about the place it's covering. It's about a movement that is not getting covered by the mainstream. And it just painted the United States as a, a shambles, <laughs> you know. So it's it's an opening, right? Because what's Margarita Sim- – what does RT want to do? It wants to find things that audiences are interested in. Here's something that audiences are interested in. And it's at the same time showing problems in its rivals' home turf. Unfortunately, Wall Street and its friends weren't ready to listen. Sam Sachs, RT. And in fact, they get nominated for an international Emmy for their coverage. So with the same ultimate mission as they had in the beginning, RT has gone from spreading Russian news and messaging, kind of the story of what was going on inside Russia, to presenting other countries' stories. But it sounds like with an angle that might ultimately serve Russian interests. Yeah, and and the way they would put that, though, is from the Russian perspective, they saw this story in a way that their mainstream counterparts missed, who are part of the establishment and part of the mainstream. They saw it. It finds its openings, right? One important thing to realize with all of this is, in Russia's view, everything is a counter to aggression against itself. Putin's a killer. Vladimir Karamurza could be dying. He's a political opponent of Vladimir Putin. According to his lawyer, doctors say a toxic substance is to blame for this latest illness. Karamurza's wife says there's someone to blame. The Russian government and President Putin... So it sees the West as disrupting other governments, so it's just answering back. In early 2013, a very senior Russian general, General Gerasimov, writes in a military journal about a whole new idea about war. And he actually refers to the Arab Spring that there's there's just a lot more going on that can affect a government, and it's not just classic military hardware that can cause huge disruption in the society, that there are different forms of war. So what he proposes is that Russia starts thinking about waging war through political, economic, and informational means Hmm. that tap into, quote-unquote, the protest potential of the population. The idea this becomes known as the Gerasimov Doctrine, it becomes known as hybrid war. And the Russian military doctrine gets changed to take this into account. Information is part of war. Its aggressive use Hmm. is part of war. And where does RT fit into that? Well, so this is where, when RT comes along in more recent years, you have all these governments, including ours, basically saying it's part of a hybrid war sort of strategy to disrupt the political balance of the countries where it's operating. If you have any doubt at all that Hillary Clinton is the Illuminati's candidate, 
then just take a look at this logo. Well, that would seem to bring us to 2016 and the election. And we're, and we're talking about all this and we, we care about all this because of what happened in last year's election and our deep discomfort around Russia's involvement in our electoral system. You might have heard that the FBI is investigating the cyber attack on the Democratic National Committee, or DNC, that resulted in a massive email leak. Well, so there was a declassified intelligence report that came out in January about the election, and half of that report almost was about RT. If you did hear about it, you probably heard that the FBI is investigating Clinton's claim that the Russians are behind the hack. In part, that's because RT is the public part of this. It's what you can discuss. It's out in the open. That's the amazing thing. But you probably didn't hear about another incident around the DNC that is being investigated, too, which is this. A DNC staffer was mysteriously murdered in the middle of the night, and police have no leads. Instead, they're only reporting, Clinton says Russia did it. Now, I am certainly not saying that Rich was the leaker and that Clinton stole out of the middle of the night and shot him herself. Not at all. I'm just saying, when I only hear one narrative being told by our media and it's all speculative, and I see another very real narrative not being told, I tend to come to one conclusion. Our media sure sucks at investigating, whether it's intentional or not. Basically, without quite putting it this way, what the U.S. intelligence community is saying is that the U.S. was the victim of a, a hybrid war attack. Jim, do you think that Margarita, who you spent all that time with in Russia, do you think she entirely understands her own role in all of this? This is like this kind of bright-eyed Russian reporter who spent time in the U.S., you know, was plucked into this job. Do you think she understands that she has become a part of such a, in the American eyes, like essentially a conspiracy to disrupt our democratic system? First of all, she is super sophisticated, very smart operator. She told me, you know, that this is ridiculous. You know, I'm not, what do you mean I'm part of a weapon? But anyway, for me, I'm a very peaceful person. Yeah. I have two children and I'm very, very peaceful. I don't like wars, any wars. And... That this is hysteria, that it's bordering on McCarthyism, that they're a news organization, and just because Western media doesn't like them and thinks and is a threat to them, she would imply, right, that they just don't Mm -hmm. want them in the mix. When I brought up the Seth Rich, a Seth Rich example, she effectively says, what about Fox News? Also tonight, another massive breaking news story. Explosive developments in the mysterious murder of former DNC staffer Seth Rich. That Why aren't you picking on them? So, you know, that's her, her viewpoint. And, you know, by the way, you can say, yeah, Fox is, or Sean Hannity has done some of the same things. If this is true, and Seth Rich gave WikiLeaks these DNC emails, which ultimately led to the firing, remember, Debbie Wasserman Schultz on the eve of the DNC convention, this blows the whole Russia collusion narrative completely out of the water. Now, maybe Seth Rich was upset that the DNC was conspiring to hurt Bernie Sanders and help the... And, and not to put you back into that restaurant in Russia again, but, but Fox News takes a pretty clear editorial agenda, too. So does MSNBC. Yeah, and none of this would work. And to me, this is the biggest deal. There, no one would be worried about RT if RT wasn't finding an American audience that is interested in its content. Hmm. And it is. It's found its audience. 
And, and that audience that you're describing is people open to perspectives on the fringes. Yeah, or people open to perspectives who aren't are, are distrustful of the mainstream and feel like their own views are undercovered elsewhere. Isn't that more or less exactly what we're dealing with here in the United States with our own media right now? Breitbart, Alex Jones, people who are appealing to Americans who distrust, who feel alienated, and feel completely left out of the mainstream. Yeah, they are in a chorus. We've talked a lot about them being part of a Russian media world, but they've also tapped in and connected with an American part hmm. of the world, of the media world that, you know, some people have called alt-right. Um, you've got the Alex Jones conspiracy types. You can see where their RT's coverage floats around with these other sources, and they sort of are part of that same quadrant of media. Uh, Madam Under Secretary, ladies and gentlemen, this is probably the only chance I will ever have to give a speech in the United Nations building. So back to that and party at the I'd UN like in January, which is where we started, and it, it looks to me like this was a moment when the international community deemed RT acceptable. So what has happened from from that time, which wasn't that long ago, to today? So, you know, when I first start reporting this story, it's in person. I'm at the UN, and it's just this, this great moment for RT. It's gotten everything it wanted. It's got the international recognition. It's alongside BBC World and CNN International. People must have the right to know different news coming from different sources and then make their own judgment. And now here we are in September, and just the last few days, you see the other side of that coin. The FBI is now bearing down on Russia-backed entities inside the U.S., like RT and Sputnik. And until this week, government scrutiny on them came mostly from U.S. intelligence agencies looking abroad, like the report on Russian meddling, listing Sputnik as a Russian propaganda effort serving as a platform for Kremlin messaging to Russian and international audiences. So, so that's it's the, the opposite of being treated like a news organization. This is treating it as a weapon of war. We'll be right back. When times became uncertain, Womply pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months, Womply has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Womply helps small businesses thrive. Visit Womply.com to learn more. Here's what else you need to know today. Uh, we lost everything. In the Florida Keys, where Hurricane Irma damaged nearly every house, the Times visited the homes of residents who refused to leave. There's nothing left for us. We just got here this morning to check. I had to climb through that window to get in, and uh, everything that wasn't packed in my truck is gone. 
I saved a chest that I've been putting stuff in ever since I was a little kid. Uh, pictures of my mom. You know, but baseball cards and stuff to, to, to pass to my son. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, as part of living here. You save what you can and, uh, and Mother Nature takes the rest. Millions remain without power in Florida, and Jacksonville in particular is dealing with serious and unexpected flooding. At least 55 people have died as a result of the storm, which is now a post-tropical cyclone moving toward Tennessee. And... It's like there's a huge love affair between me and the whole gay community. And uh, I can't walk down the street without people stopping me to say thank you. It's thrilling. (laughs) Edith Windsor, whose same-sex marriage fight led to a landmark ruling, has died at the age of 88. In 2010, Windsor just wanted a tax refund from the IRS after the death of her longtime partner, Thea Spire. Three years later, that fight over federal benefits reached the Supreme Court, which ruled in her favor, striking down the Defense of Marriage Act and paving the way for the legalization of same-sex marriage in 2015. Windsor spoke to John Hockenberry on The Takeaway after the ruling. Was Thea there in court? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, people ask that, and I thought, what a silly question. But yes, yes, she was. Actually, I find notes from time to time. I find various things in drawers all over the apartment. And I came home, and I swear to you that it was the day that of the oral arguments at the Supreme Court that I found a note that said, you did it, honey, congratulations, okay, from her. Now, she hadn't been able to write for years So I assume it was probably something like when I stopped smoking. But I thought I was spooked. Okay, I have this note. And she's uh, still talking to you, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think she would be thrilled. Okay. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com slash daily, netsuite.com slash daily.